Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Kristen Kenny from Red Bull Global Rallycross, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the June 29th edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This is episode 113 of the series. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Mullally and myself will review this past weekend of racing and chat about whatever other exciting news of the world of modern motorsports pops into the conversation. Let's start with a brief review of last week's action. Alec Udell has been known as a hard charger since breaking into the Pirelli World Challenge at 15 years of age. Now 21, Udell piloted the number 17 Euro World Motorsports Porsche 911 GT3R prepared by GMG from 11th on the grid to a 7th place finish, earning the prestigious PWC Hard Charger of the Race Award for most positions gained. In race one on Saturday, he took on a pair of McLaren supercars in his Porsche 911 GT3R with defending PWC GT Drivers Championship winner Alvaro Parente and one in veteran race winner Brian Sellers in the second McLaren. Sunday's race would hold the same starting position based on his best race lap turned on Saturday and would be awarded again with seventh place at the conclusion of the 50 minutes. Udell would be embroiled in multiple fights for position, including one three-wide battle again with veterans and victory factory drivers, which proved his talent and determination. Alex Tagliani of La Chenet, Quebec, hopefully I didn't butcher that too bad, finished seventh at the CSR Express 300 held Sunday at Autodrome Chaudrière, quarter mile over track in Junction Valley, located south of Quebec City. Starting seventh on the grid, the driver of the number 18 EpiPen Lowe's St. Hubert Premium Spectre car had moved up to fifth on lap 186 of 310. But on such a short track where traffic is always an issue, he was able to move further up out the field from the starting position in the final tally. Caden Lopsevic of Grimsby, Ontario, won the third of 13 events on the NASCAR Pinty Series schedule ahead of Quebec drivers Alex Lab and LP Dumalin. A late race incident on lap 299 of the scheduled 300 lap affair sent the event into NASCAR overtime for 10 laps. But Lapsevic held on to cross the finish line half a second ahead of its closest pursuer, DJ. DJ Kankton finished fourth, followed by pole Donald Piggy. Ontario drivers have dominated NASCAR oval races in Quebec, and this weekend's defending champion victory was the 10th in 12 races over the years. Fifteen drivers started the race on this short track with 12 crossing the finish line. Surprisingly, eight finished on the lead lap. The race was under caution six times for 36 laps. The Echo Unlimited 100 round four of the 2017 NASCAR Pinty Series will be held Saturday, July 8th at Circuit Icar in Maribel, Quebec. Team Panos Racing's Ian James followed up Saturday's first-place finish in the PWC GTS GT4 Championship Round 9 with a victory in Round 10 on Sunday at the Grand Prix of Road America. The weekend sweep showcases the team's hard work since the Avanzano GTS first raced at the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg in March of this year. In Sunday's 50-minute race on the fast 14-turn 4.048-mile Road America circuit, 
James started P5 based on his quickest lap time of 2 minutes, 19 seconds, 0.895 in the round 9 victory. At the start, James immediately moved up to P2 in turn 1, holding position until an incident on pit row forced a caution. James took over the lead on lap 3 restart, the position he would held throughout the race. While shortened due to incidents, James and the Panos Avanzeno achieved a quick pace and showed strong performance under green. James's quickest lap was 2 minutes 19.022 seconds. Next up for, Panos, for Team Panos Racing is PWC GTS GT4 rounds 11 and 12 at the Grand Prix of Mid-Ohio in Lexington, Ohio on July 28th through the 30th of this year. Please visit www.world-challenge.com for the most up-to-date Pirelli World Challenge information and Motortrend on-demand streaming and CBS Sports Network broadcast information. Steve Torres powered his top fuel dragster to victory Sunday at the 11th annual Summit Racing Equipment NHRA Nationals at Summit Racing Equipment Motorsports Park. Jack Beckman, top fuel Bo Butner, Pro Stock, and L.E. Tonglet Pro Stock Motorcycle were also winners in their respective categories at the 12th of 24 events on the 2017 NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series schedule. Torn secured his career-best fourth finish of the season with a 3.743-second pass at 331.45 miles per hour in his Capco Contractors Dragster to defeat Doug Coletta on a hole shot after he ran a 3.736 at 331.36 miles per hour in his Mac Tools Dragster. Torrance emerged victorious for the first time since Englishtown and has now reached six final rounds on the season, with all six coming over the past eight events. Torrance qualified third and defeated Corey, Troy Coughlin Jr., who we had in the program earlier in the year, Clay Milliken, who we've had on the program before, and Brittany Force on the way to victory. Coletta nicked off Troy, Be- Troy Buff, Tony Schumacher, and Leah Pritchett, who has also been a previous guest, before reaching his second final round appearance of the season. Torrance remained atop the point standings with the victory, and Leah Pritchett is second in the standings after a semifinal appearance. Beckman earned his 26th career victory and second of the season with a 4.073 pass at 311.85 miles per hour in his infinite hero foundation, Dodge Charger RT, during the final round to defeat Robert Height, who ran a 6.673 at 98.53 miles per hour in his auto club of Southern California Chevrolet Camaro SS. This was Beckman's first win since English Town and his third consecutive final round appearance this season. Beckman qualified ninth and defeated Cruz Pedregon, Matt Hagen, and Tommy Johnson Jr. before reaching his third final round of the season. Height reached his second final round of the season after defeating Jim Campbell, Alexis Tejoria, and Bob Tasca the third. Beckman remains in third place in the points behind point standings behind teammates Ron Capps and Matt Hagen, who both fell in the quarterfinals. Points leader Butner served secured the victory in pro stock after driving to a 6.601 at 210.50 miles per hour in his Jim Butner's auto Chevy Camaro to knock off Grant Garrett Anderson on a whole shot after running a 6.581 at 210.87 miles per hour in his summit racing equipment Chevrolet Camaro. Butner now has three victories on the year as he notched his first win since Atlanta. Butner had the second best qualifying time and defeated Val Smeeland, Vincent Nobile, and John Gadosh en route to his fifth final round of 2017. Anderson earned his sixth final round appearance of the season by defeating Mark Hogan, Alan Johnson, and Jason Lyne. Butner added to his league in the point standings, becoming the first three-race winner in the pro-stock category this season. Anderson remains in second place with his fourth runner-up of the year. 
in pro stock motorcycle, Tongla emerged victorious with 6.824 at 195 miles, 195.76 miles per hour, and hit Nitro Fish Racing Suzuki to defeat Matt Smith's pass of 6.882 at 195.31 miles per hour in his victory Polaris Magnum. Tonglet notched his 13th career victory and third of the season. Tonglet has now reached three final rounds in five events this season, winning all three of those appearances. He defeated Melissa Serber, Steve Johnson, and Hector Organa Jr. Before the final round, Smith took on Joe DeSantis, Mike Berry, and Scott Polichick before reaching his first final round of the season. Tonga jumped to first in the Pro Stock Motorcycle Point standings, and Eddie Craywick fell second after fall- falling in the first round. The 2017 NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series continues with the Fallen Patriots NHRA Route 66 Nationals, presenting by K&N Filters at Route 66 Raceway this weekend, or next weekend, rather, July 6th through the 9th. One outstanding prize eluding Scott Dixon in his illustrious IndyCar career was winning Road America's picturesque and lightning-fast Fernet Road course. The Chip Ganassi racing driver checked that box over the weekend, winning the Kohler Grand Prix. Dixon crossed the finish line 0.5779 of a second ahead of Team Penske's Joseph Newgarden during the 41st win of his impressive career. It moved the four-time Verizon IndyCar Series champion within one victory of tying Michael Andretti for third on the all-time list. It's also the 13th straight season. Dixon has won at least one race, extending his IndyCar record. Driving the number nine NTT Data Honda, Dixon led Honda 25 laps to win for the first time at Road America in his fourth start on the track, named by most Verizon IndyCar Series drivers as their favorite road course. Dixon has now won on 11 of the 16 circuits on this year's schedule. His first win of 2017 allowed Dixon to stretch his championship lead to 34 points over last year's titleist Simon Penson. It also makes Dixon the eighth different driver to win in 10 races this season, another indicator of the ultra-high level of competition within the Verizon IndyCar Series. Team Kensey drivers finished second through fifth in the 55-lap race. Trailing New Garden across the finish line were Helio Castro-Neves in the number three Rev Group Team Penske Chevrolet in third place, Pagano in the number one Pen- Menards Team Penske Chevrolet in fourth, and Will Power driving the number 12 Horizon Team Penske Chevrolet in fifth. Dixon, with eight top six finishes in the first 10 races, has totaled 379 points through 10 races. Pagano is second in the standings with 345. Road America pole sitter Castro Neves in third at 342. Indianapolis 500 winner Takuma Sato fourth with 323. And Joseph Newgarden fifth at 318. Sato battling a painful strained neck muscle, lost control of his number 26 Andretti Autosport Honda on lap 29, and hit the barrier in turn 11, bringing out the first full course caution. Tony Kanon and the number 10 NTT Data Honda crashed in the same area on lap 46 after making light contact with the number 98 Napa Auto Parts slash Curb Honda of Alexander Rossi. Kanon was making his IndyCar record 275th consecutive race start. The next Verizon IndyCar Series race is the Iowa Corn 300 at Iowa Speedway, which airs live at 5 p.m. Eastern, July 9th at NBCSN and the Advanced Auto Parts IndyCar Radio Network. Carlin Zachary Clamon de Melo can now call himself an Indy Lights race leader, race winner. The Montreal native took the lead from pole center Colton Herta on lap five at Road America and never looked back winning by 10.549 seconds over Kyle Kaiser in race two of the Indy Lights presented by Cooper Tires' doubleheader weekend. 
Indy Lights is the top rung of Mazda Road to Indy, presented by Cooper Tires Development Ladder, for drivers and teams aspiring to reach the Verizon IndyCar Series. Kaiser's second-place finish adds six points to his championship lead over Matthias Liest, Clement DeMello's teammate at Carlin, who won Saturday's race and finished fourth on Sunday. Kaiser has a 27-point advantage over Liest after nine of 16 races. A bounty of aggressiveness prematurely ended the day for many in the Azerbaijan Grand Prix Sunday at Baku City Circuit, but cooler heads prevailed for Haas 1 F1 team. Kevin Magnussen delivered a strong 7th place finish after starting 12th to notch Haas F1 team's 6-point paying effort of the season and its 4th straight. Teammate Romain Grosjean finished 13th after starting 16th, the 6th accompanying Accompanying points boosted Haas F1 team to seven in the constructors' standings with 21 points, giving the American squad a three-point margin over eighth place Renault, sixth Toro Rosso, Rosso, and points ahead. The six points also provided Haas F1 team another milestone in its still young history, with a total of 50 points earned since its debut in the 2016 Australian Grand Prix. From the onset of the 51-lap race around the 6.003-kilometer, 3.73-mile, 20-turn Baku City circuit, drivers were bouncing off one another and the wall. And the contact was throughout the field, with dust-dust between the front-running Mercedes and Scuderia Ferrari drivers, inter-squad battles among Forced India and Sauber, along with a host of mechanical issues, some self-inflicted, that created a topsy-service race before, before reaching its halfway mark. A red flag after 22 laps to clean the entire track of the numerous bits of broken carbon fiber was a gift to Magnuson and Grosjean. The two drivers had worked their way up to 7th and 10th respectively, and the red flag effectively gave them a free pit stop. New Pirelli P0 red super soft tires were bolted onto each of their Haas VF17s, allowing both to go the distance without needing to pit again. When the race went back to green, Magnuson... Magnuson took full advantage of his fresh tires, simultaneously passing the Williams of Felipe Massa and the Renault of Nico Hülkenberg in turn one to take fifth. Then front runners Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel had to pit. Hamilton needed his headrest reattached to his Mercedes, and Vettel had to serve a 10-second penalty for turning his Ferrari into Hamilton during a previous safety car period. This bugged Magnuson up to third. Magnussen held on to third until lap 38 when he was caught by Mercedes of Valtteri Botas and the Forced India of Esteban Ocon, dropping him to fifth. A lap later, Vettel and Hamilton came, up, came upon Magnussen, jettisoning him to seventh, but with a healthy gap over the eighth-place finish, eighth-place Toro Rosso of Carlos Sainz Jr., Magnussen maintained his healthy position throughout the race. Grosjean, meanwhile, was forced to pit on lap 37 to investigate a left-front disc issue. He was able to return to the race, but the lost position was too much to overcome. In 13th, he was the last driver running at the finish. Winning the eighth round of the 2017 FIA Formula One World Championship was Daniel Ricciardo. The Red Bull driver won the Azerbaijan Grand Prix after starting 10th. It was Ricardo's fifth career Formula One victory, his first of the season, and his first at the Baku City Circuit. Ricardo's winning margin was a stout 3.904 seconds over runner-up Botas, 
The championship battle between Vettel and Hamilton remains tight, with Vettel picking up two points on Hamilton to earn a 14-point advantage. Formula One tickets weekend off before returning to action July 7th through 9th for the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg. Our first guest this evening is Justin Peck. Justin, age 19, spent his time racing 410 wing sprint cars as well as the National Midget Series. With six starts so far this season in the sprint cars, he's earned two top tens, one World of Outlaws alien appearance, and one All-Star Circuit of Champions victory. He has quite a resume in National Midgets as well, earning 10 AMA wins, 33 hit wins, and 66 top 10 finishes. 15 years of age, he was the youngest ever midget winner and won features events in the indoor midget class in both 2013 and 2014 as well. He is also the youngest ever winner in micro sprints as well as Kenyan midgets. His career even includes experience in full body cars with three Dregs All-Star Series late model starts under his belt. With his wing ways, we're sure that the name Justin Peck will be a household name in the years to come. We are pleased to welcome Justin into the Thunderdome. How are you doing this evening? Oh, pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on tonight. As we know, in your introduction, you've been in a couple of different places. You've been the youngest driver in more than a few of the series you've competed in. How does it feel to compete against drivers with more experience and some nearly twice your age? You know, I, I kind of like being the young guy, you know, it, it, it's nice to be able to come in as, as a, you know, as a 14, 15 year old kid. Uh, now I'm 18 years old. So it's nice to be able to move up into the sprint car ranks and get to learn from guys like, you know, Chad Kemenal and, uh, and Ricky Warner, um, Donnie Schatz's crew chief, you know, it's nice to get to talk to those guys and, and to, uh, be, for them to be able to show me the ropes, you know, those guys are, are the best of the best nowadays. So it's nice to be able to come in and uh, learn from the best. What's your favorite racetrack? Um, I mean, I, there's a couple of different racetracks I like. Um, let me break it down for you. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. For the midget racing, uh, either Belclair Speedway in Illinois or or Kokomo Speedway, man. Kokomo is is by far my overall favorite track, though. Would definitely be Kokomo Speedway, man. It's it's awesome to get to run there in a the sprint car. It's awesome for midgets, and I can't wait to get there tomorrow in the wing sprint car. That's actually where I uh, where I got your name from earlier today. I saw the the race from Kokomo was being broadcast on Mav TV. Looked like you had a pretty good time there. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, you know, Kokomo is always fun because it's always usually it's two grooves. Um, you can always count on a cushion right up against the fence in one and two. Three and four is a little tricky though. You know, the wall kind of likes to sneak up on you, so you got to drive it in hard and try try and come off the corner a little lower than you entered. Um, you know, if the cushion becomes real gnarly up against the fence, you can, def- you can definitely expect some excitement. What's your goal for the 2017 season? Well, it kind of started out as, you know, just bust out a lot of top top tens, try to get some top fives in the sprint car. Um, and then we were, we were fortunate enough to pick up to pick up an Arctic Cat All-Star win. So, you know, uh, the goal now is, is to pick up a couple more, couple more wins and try and compete with uh, some of the outlaws when they come into town again. Uh, we're going to try and hit as many all-star shows as we can and try and run as many midget races as we can with Kenny Irwin. So, you know, pick up a couple more wins for Kenny this year and, and uh, keep, ch- keep chipping away at the top tens in the sprint car. That'll probably be the goal throughout the season. 
And that brings me right into the next question I have for you. How many races do you compete in every season? Um, it kind of varies. Uh, the last couple of seasons I've been fortunate enough to race 40 to 50 races. Um, this year I don't think it will be as many. I think we'll probably be somewhere between the 30 and 40 range. Uh, if I'm lucky, I might break into the 40s. But this year was kind of we kind of jumped ship from owning our own midget stuff to to owning a sprint car. So it kind of that took away a little bit from the racing funds. But you know it's fun. I think it was a good switch, and there's it, there's more opportunity to go out and, and win some money in the sprint car. So if we can if we can keep plugging away at some good finishes, and I don't don't tear too much stuff up, and you know we could be hitting that 40 mark by the end of the year. We've discussed on this program quite a few times the issue of finding sponsors in today's economy. What advice would you give for an up-and-coming driver in the search for funding? Uh, I would I would definitely say don't don't just rely on your talent. Um, you know, to to get sponsors nowadays, it seems like you need to be uh, almost like a businessman. You know, it's kind of like you're running your own business and you're trying to get people to advertise on your billboard, which is your race car. So I would definitely say that you you, you need to you need to be a smart you need to talk well. You need to be a smart smart person when it comes to to money um i would also say that you need to be able to find the guys that um are already interested in racing because it's really hard to to take a guy that doesn't really know a whole lot about racing and say hey you know we can put you on tv a couple times a year and and take you to 40 different racetracks um they're going to be like well i can just go to get on tv and go in front of you know millions of people but you know, it's it's all about it's all about being able to speak well and and uh, and really selling yourself and selling the fact that you're not you're not trying to say, hey, give me some money and I'll put you on the side of my car. You're trying to sell their business as well. You know, you're trying to sell their product or their company, um, and definitely represent yourself. You know, it's not just all about what's on the happening on the racetrack. It's about what's happening off the racetrack. You know, how you carry yourself, how you handle situations. Uh, you know, there's always somebody out there watching. So. You know, keep hold yourself to a high standard and know that you're representing somebody bigger than yourself. Well, now I'd like to throw you out to Micah Mullally in Afraid of Washington, a woman who has some sprint car aspirations of her own, who has a few questions for you as well. All righty. So first, I would just like to ask, what, like, for you, was it tough going from midget to sprint car? Um, you know, it, it, jumping it from a midget to a wing sprint car, I would say added a little more of a curveball just because you're so used to having the car balled up on the right rear and the midget trying to keep it planted. Um, that now I'm I'm in a wing sprint car that's you know trying to to keep it planted on the left rear, getting into the corner and trying to keep that drive off. You know, uh, the midget you can you can toss around a little bit more and maybe scrub just a little bit more speed on the smaller tracks um, to to make a pass. But in the wing car, man, you gotta. I mean, it's just tough. You got to find clean air. You can't run right in the right in uh, behind some guys because that just takes all your air away. You know, um, using using the brake to turn is a scary feeling. You know, you don't really turn the wheel like like you did in the midget. So this is uh you definitely drive these cars a lot more with the, the pedals than you do your hands. So, um, I know at least around here, the open wheel effect kind of like kind of deters people from wanting to drive sprint cars does the open wheel effect like does it bother you any or is it just like whatever 
You know, I've been I've been racing open wheel uh, basically my whole life. You know, even a quarter midgets when I where I started, that's you know an open wheel quarter midget. So um, it's just something that it's just something I've gotten used to. You know, it's it's all about knowing you got you know you can't see everything that's going on around you. So you just kind of got to be aware of your surroundings and, and and almost you know hope you have eyes in the back of your head. You know, <laughs> um, the open wheel effect's a little different. You know, you just got to be careful not hopping tires and stuff. But um, once you once you run a couple races, you kind of get the feel for the race car, and and uh, it, it's a lot easier to run uh, side by side by guys once you get the experience under the belt. Now, I actually drove a sprint car, um, and I know a lot of people say that they tend to kind of drive themselves, which I definitely did not agree with. But what do you have to say about that? Do you completely disagree? Does it like irritate you when people say that a sprint car drives itself? You know, I definitely don't think it drives itself. You know, you, you there's uh, the car can be set up to a point to where it, it definitely can uh, make your job a lot easier. Uh, but I, de- you know, it takes a it takes a driver to be able to wheel one of these things. You know, it takes a lot of things. It takes good equipment, good crew chief, good setup, uh, good product, the right mindset. You know, I think mindset's huge when you hop into one of these race cars. You know, you're strapping into a 900 horsepower race car that weighs 1,500 pounds. You know, it, it's not all about just ha- hammering the throttle and and turning left, it's just more about working the brake pedal, you know, where, where to lift, lift halfway here, lift all the way, um, turn left early, turn left late, diving under guys, throwing sliders. You know, I, I think, I think that it, it, there's a lot more work to it than, <laughs> than just letting it drive itself, you know? Yeah. So do you think that, I mean, in the nearest future, well, not really the nearest future, but eventually, do you think that you will move up to, like, a World of Outlaw late model, or do you think you'll just kind of stick it out with sprint cars for now? Uh, You know, the open world route's kind of what I chose to do back when I started running the late model deal. Um, You know, I felt like I was just throwing too much money at the stock car stuff and and not getting a whole lot in return. And and it just, you know, in my opinion, I mean, stock cars are great. Stock cars are fun, but... I mean, sprint cars are my home, man. You know, the open wheel, open wheel cars is where I want to be, and and you know, maybe one day if I could pick up a ride or get a couple, you know, get a, get a couple different sponsors on the side of the car, then maybe World of Outlaws will be the way to go. But more on the sprint car side, um, you know, we just have to wait it out and see what happens. Uh, I got a pretty, I got an awesome team behind me right now, and, uh, and some awesome sponsors in Exalta and Duracoat, Pro Shocks, Lucas Oil, DRC chassis. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully they can take me to the, to the top level. Now, my final question for you, um, have you driven your sprint car on pavement or have you just kept it on dirt? And if you have driven in both areas, which do you consider to be more fun, I guess, so to speak? Well, I haven't had the opportunity to drive a, a sprint car on pavement. Um, I've driven a midget on pavement, and I think, I think it's uh, – you know, I I don't really have a favorite. Dirt dirt's fun just because you get to go in there and sling some dirt, get sideways and stuff. But uh, pavement pavement's what I grew up on for the first five years of my racing career, so it uh, it definitely holds a special place in my heart. And I I hate to see pavement racing dying like it is. And I have one more question. But if I had for to you, answer, I if I had if I had to if I had to answer that question though, I would say dirt's probably my favorite. <laughs> I know that uh, Rico Brew has done a, a lot of uh, a lot of racing. He, he basically grew up in sprint cars. He's actually gone back to it now. But how do you feel he was treated with his uh, with his run up to NASCAR? Do you think that that was fair? And what do you think he could have done different? What what would you have done differently if he were in his place? 
You know, Rico is a very smart man. You know, he uh, he's very awesome behind the wheel of a race car. Uh, you know, he's one of, he's one of the best in our sport today, and I think that you know I'd like to have seen him make a, a little bit more of a run in the in the NASCAR side of things. But you know, sprint car racing is his home. That's what he loves to do. So I don't I don't blame him one bit for wanting to come back. You know, he's uh, he's get, he, you know he's got the opportunity to go to go run sprint cars and mid is pretty much wherever he feels like running that weekend. So I. You know, I think I think uh, his situation's uh, done pretty well for him, and I, I, you know, yeah, I'd love to make it to NASCAR one day, but if if it wasn't working out, kind of like it was for him, then I, I, you know, open wheel would always have a special place in my heart, and I'd love to come back to it. Well, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show with a short, short notice this evening, and we hope to get to talk to you again later in the season and see how your year went out for you. Yep, hope to be back, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, and have a nice evening. You too, man. Once again, that was Justin Peake, who's definitely having an amazing year, and we hope that he has a, a lot more years of racing to come. He's a, definitely an up-and-coming racer, and he's somebody who I'm sure that you'll hear from quite a bit in the future. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner, or maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport? Contact either Mike Mullally or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. Our next guest this evening is Derek DeBoer. Derek has racing running through his veins. He grew up in Ashland, Oregon, in a family where racing and the love of cars was very much at the center of everyday life. Derek's grandfather raced in the local dirt car circuit, and his father followed, albeit in top alcohol dragsters, racing in a straight line. It was when Derek was in college in Oregon State University, they moved into competitive sport, first in wakeboarding at the pro level as a liquid force team rider. He married the love of his life, Brooke, soon after graduating, and together, 18 years later, they're still chasing dreams along with their three beautiful children, Paige, Haley, and Ryan. Those dreams have always included professional auto racing. Brooke asked Derek what he loved to do, and racing was the natural answer. As a result, Derek's racing career began 17 years ago at Laguna Seca in a Formula Dodge. Derek has raced in the competitive Formula Renault Open Wheel, Open Wheel Series and spent several years in the SD class of Grand Am. No stranger to the world of endurance racing, Derek won at the 2015 Le Mans Aston Martin Fistel race and has first shot at the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona the same year and has raced multiple times in the 24-hour at Thunderhill. He's also competed in multiple Continental Tire Series races. Derek found a home racing for the racers group in Aston Martins in 2013 and add a Lamborghini in 2015. He's always threatening contender in the Pirelli Challenge, racing in the GTS and Sprint X categories, consistently coming away from good finishes and podiums. Derek has had a breakout year in 2016, and season highlights included wins at Road America and Utah Motorsports Campus, as well as podium finishes at Laguna Seca and the Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. When Derek isn't in his race car, or being a husband and busy father, his efforts stay aimed in the auto world. Derek is part of a small auto group in Southern Oregon and sits as the general manager of his Ashland dealership, TC Chevrolet. He has spent 17 years in the auto industry and has thrown his hat back into the ring with his first love in professional sports, wakeboarding. Derek was part of a startup company designing and manufacturing the world's best wake skates. Every opportunity is a welcome challenge, and Derek's role with TRG is one that he has welcomed with open, open arms. We are now pleased to welcome Derek to the program. 
Hello, how are you doing this evening? Excellent. How are you, Adam? Doing pretty well. Thank you for coming on tonight. Yeah, happy to be joining you. Although I, that, that bio, I, I've got a lot to live up to. I've done some some random stuff. It seems like. <laughs> First off, what made you decide to race sports cars as opposed to dragsters that your father worked on? You know, the uh, the drag racing scene was was pretty cool as, as a little guy. But I, I don't think it was a super popular topic in my household, so it kind of you know went away when I was. You know, I'm going to say probably in that 10, 11, 12-year-old stage and started playing Little League and doing all that. My dad started being a coach instead of a race car driver. So by the time you know, I had a driver's license, uh, there weren't any dragsters laying around anymore. What's your favorite racetrack? I know you've competed on quite a few all-different series. What's your favorite one? Oh, this is probably going to be a cliche answer, but I'm, I'm going to have to go with Le Mans. There's a... Uh, no track in the world like that and no no other event or experience, you know, all, all the way, you know, from the crowd and the fans and the people to the experience and competition on track. How did you feel about the way the, P, the P1s competed in Le Mans this year and the fact that most of them just seemed to have so many technical issues? Yeah, it was uh it was it was hard to watch because there was some uh some great opportunities lost there in a year where maybe a different manufacturer could have scored a win but um you know it's, it's racing and things go up and down and when you're at that level and you know pushing pushing every every angle that you can you know this stuff doesn't go right sometimes and there's there's bound to be an off year here and there as i stated in your introduction you've competed in a wide variety of racing machines which one's your favorite and why you know i, I really feel like i've I've found a, a home with Aston Martin, and I absolutely love driving the Astons. Um, so really, I think the, the GT3 V12 Vantage is, is the favorite racing machine that I've driven to this date. Um, the love certainly started with open wheel racing, and that was always the direction I, I wanted to go. But there was just a point where reality came, and there wasn't the budget to continue, and there's just not very many opportunities there, you know, so sports cars was uh, kind of where, where things aimed. And it was kind of uh, a little bit reluctant that I went into sports cars until I had my first race. And I was, you know, I'll, I'll vividly remember like, you know, going up, up into the corkscrew at Laguna Seca. That was my first sports car race, you know, three cars wide. And I was going, man, this wouldn't have happened in, in the open wheel cars. And it was, it was really a blast. But um, circling back, I'd say the, the V12 GT3 Aston's my, my favorite car that I've driven. Now that we're in the uh, the heat of the summer, I know that uh, a lot of people are spending time on the water. Can you tell us a little bit more about your wakeboarding experience? Yeah, water sports is always a, a big, big, big part of my life. You know, grew up uh, slalom skiing and doing all that stuff, and you know, ultimately ended up you know competing, and then wakeboarding kind of started to come around, and so I started experimenting with that, and was pretty much you know involved with that from the very, very early days, you know, where we were just uh, putting Velcro straps on surfboards and uh, <laughs> calling it a wakeboard. And then uh, it just kind of, the dominoes kept falling and it was a sport that I really, really loved and, uh, you know, competed at the, at the top level of that and ultimately became a, a liquid force team rider and got to tour the country and compete and meet a lot of really, really great people and have a whole lot of fun. That was a, a definitely a neat time of life. What is your ultimate racing goal? 
You know, that that's a that that is kind of a hard one to pin down. Really, for me, it was to make it in the world of professional racing and, and to be able to be considered a professional racing driver. I would still love for it to become, you know, my my full time job, and to be able to count on seasons coming one after another, and. Uh, that's really where the hard work has been put in, you know, this, this off season, kind of the slow start to my season this year has been putting together all the proper partnerships, making sure that I'm working at it as hard as I can so that I can be there, you know, full time again next year. Let me go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally out in your neck of woods there in the, in the great Northwest who has a couple of questions for you as well. Fantastic. Okay, so first, I just want to know, what gives you a bigger thrill, wakeboarding in the middle of dangerous waters or driving a race car? That's a good question. Um, they, they definitely both give me a big thrill, and I would say I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable probably on a wakeboard so I feel right at home everywhere so you don't get quite the same uh, adrenaline bump that you probably do in a race car it's like when anything is new um, you know when my marketing manager for TRG the team I drive for he came out uh, wakeboarding with us for, for the first time and he watched how at ease I was on the wakeboard and he goes I can't wait till I see you looking that at ease in the race car because I think that's when the results are really going to start coming and after a, a couple seasons with the team and being so familiar with the car, I now feel that kind of comfort in a race car as well. So as of right now, I mean, you've obviously got a ton of racing experience. Your racing resume is through the roof. What is your greatest racing moment? My greatest moment for sure. I'm going to say my, my first Pro World Challenge Pro Win at, at Road America last year. Um, that rivals for sure with the the win that I got uh, at Le Mans and Aston Martin Festival. But to have have got it to at, with the level of drivers that we had, you know, in, in PWC last year, and to to stand on top of that podium was a pretty epic moment. And you said that you were really into open wheel. If you were given the chance, do you think you would make the switch back to open wheel, or do you think you're pretty comfortable racing, I guess, the opposite of open wheel? I would absolutely cherish an opportunity to, to get back in an open wheel car if there ever was that opportunity. Um, you know, I never got to drive a, you know, a, a proper true Indy car. Um, I went as high as Formula Renault, and that was where I made the switch over to sports cars. So if there if there is ever a chance to go uh, do a test or, or get in one of those, you know, specifically on a road course, that would be a, a total dream come true. So, what does a typical race weekend look like for you? Like, is there a lot that goes into? It? Well, obviously, there's a lot that goes into it, but. Is it, like, stressful? Do you really look forward to it? Or do you just really kind of want to get in your car and just get it over with? You know, I, I think a lot of that is is how much that we put in the team and then as my racing team as well. And they are, you know, race 
weekends are the weekends I cherish. There's, they're maybe some of the busiest and most stressful in one way, but then in another, it's not stressful at all because you're absolutely in your element and loving every moment of it. You know, my, my wife and daughters travel with me to, to almost every race. Um, my wife is a filmmaker. She has a YouTube channel that's a reality show that, that follows our racing season. It's called Fast Life TV. So she's always working. I'm working when we're at the racetrack. You know, my team really is one of the few in the paddock that is just really over the top with hospitality and entertainment and the, the other events that we tie around the race weekends with our sponsors and partners and friends. So there's, there's just always a lot going on. And, uh, and I love it. It's just, uh, it's full speed. And, and when you're, you know, when Monday comes around, you're, you beat and you go back to normal life and you're just kind of going, when is the next one? When can we go do all that again? My final question for you this evening is, I mean, given the circumstances of where motorsports is going right now, I mean, just in general as a whole, what do you think they could do to kind of bring the sport up, so to speak, so it's not like, I mean, I guess to a lot of people it seems like it's kind of dying off, and I mean, it kind of is. So what do you think they could do to kind of essentially bring the sport back and make it better? You know, I think it certainly depends on, on where you are in the world, right? And, you know, when we got to go to Le Mans in 2015 as, as part of uh, Aston Martin and the festival race, I got to see a whole other side of racing to where, you know, the, it's just such a common and everyday sport over there, like, the majority of people I think follow racing and, and know about it. And, and I think it's because it's just ingrained in, in everyday life over there different than it is here. But I think um, there's a lot of things that can help that. I think the race series themselves are, are going in a pretty good direction. I feel definitely like, like I'm in the right place at the right time. I think sports car racing is on a rise. I think sports cars are very relevant in the fact that, you know, we're racing cars that people recognize, people aspire to own. The race series, you know, Pirelli World Challenge and, and IMSA have made it very fan-friendly where, you know, it's not ultra-expensive to come to a race. You don't have to spend a lot of money to get super special access. You can come and touch and feel the cars and speak and talk to the drivers. And then I think, you know, the, the concept that, that my wife has with Fast Life TV takes it to that next level because it's sharing all the behind the scenes stuff that I think is what people are used to seeing these days. I mean, most people are watching television on their computers and controlling the content that they watch. And when they can see more than just the race that's on TV on Sunday and see the family behind it, see the driver, see the everyday life, see the work that it took to get there. I I think it creates a lot more engaged fan and, and we need more of that. And, you know, radio shows like this and podcasts and just more things to get it in, in front of more people. This next weekend offers up a lot of high-speed action, including the anticipated summer races at Daytona, as well as the uh, six hours at the Glen. Who's your pick to win the uh, six hours at the Glen this year? Do you think the Taylor brothers can be defeated? Man, that's a, that's a tough one to call. I, I think they've had uh, a lot of success there in the past, and they're certainly on a roll. So I, uh, I see them standing on the top of the podium overall. 
And, um, you know, the, the, the Mercedes has kind of been the class of the field in the GTD competition too. So I think the, the boys in the Mercedes have a pretty good shot. I sure uh, wish that I was going to be there giving them a run for the money, but we're going to have to look for next year. There you go. Well, we'd like to thank you very much for coming in the program this evening, and we look forward to talking to you probably it'll be August again when we'll be back on the show. We look forward to talking to you again then. Sounds good. You tell me when. I'll put it on my calendar. Thank you very much, and have a nice evening. Okay, thank you. You all too. Once again, that was Derek DeVore, who races in TRG Motorsports in the Aston Martin program. And we wish him lots of luck. We're kind of skipping around on the script this evening, but let's go ahead and cut that little bit out and go to this one. The Coca-Cola Firecracker 250, which runs for 100 laps, 250 miles, is the 16th of 33 NASCAR Xfinity Series races on the 2017 schedule. Practice began today. We ran from 2 o'clock to 2.55 p.m. Second practice was from 4 o'clock to 4.55 p.m. Qualifying is set for tomorrow, Friday, June 30th, beginning at 2.10 p.m. The 40-car field will take the green flag shortly after 7.30 p.m. With live coverage on NBC Sports Network, the Motor Racing Network, and Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Channel 190. All times are Eastern. On Saturday night, the stars of the NASCAR Sprint Cup take to the high banks for the Coke Zero 400. Coverage starts at 7.30 p.m. for that race as well. So do you learn anything exciting from the, uh, Justin Peck? You're all ready to jump in a sprint car and compete in the, in the big leagues? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, yeah, no. But he's <laughs> Like, I almost felt like I could live out my sprint car dreams through him. So, go win for both of us. There you go. Be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder, as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at SpeedwayDigestRadioNetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at SpeedwayDigest.com. They have a lot of articles previewing the, uh, this weekend's action at Daytona. And I put out quite a few articles this afternoon, uh, both reviewing last weekend's racing, some of which we discussed on the program, some of which we did not because we didn't have enough time, which is a great thing, as well as uh, some of the future upcoming stuff that's going to be going on this weekend and beyond. I did put in a little bit of sprint car coverage just because of our guest this evening. And I also did some reviews of the... Uh, and some previews of the sports car racing that's coming up as well. So be sure to check that out in the racing news section of SpeedwayDigest.com. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Palm Beach Happening, which we found by visiting PalmBeach.HappingMag.com. We just rolled out our first app for Palm Beach Happening, so be sure to check that out as well. It can be found in the uh, in the pinned articles up at the top of the the website there. So go to palmbeach.havingmag.com and download the app today. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of motor, modern auto racing with ARCA racing star Ryan Repto. Thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>